0: Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm Dr. Kara Ong-Whaley, Associate Director of the Madison Center, and today I'm joined by Dr. Abraham Goldberg, the Executive Director of the Madison Center. Hi, Abe.
1: Hello, Kara. It is great to be back on the podcast. We've got a really exciting guest here today.
0: We do. Today we have with us Ian Simmons, who's co-founder and principal of Blue Haven Initiative. He's been a champion and practitioner of impact investing for two decades. Hi Ian, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So for our listeners who have never heard the term before, can you tell us what impact investing is?
2: Impact investing in many ways is just good investing. Investing in alignment with one's values for successful outcomes. Uh, We'd like to talk about it investing for profit and with purpose. Impact investors often also seek measurable uh, returns on their investment in addition to um, financial returns in terms of actually solving social issues, solve social problems, or making concrete progress. So for companies that we invest in, like a company that uh, builds solar panels, we talk about the CO2 reduction impact of the company in addition to the financial return of the company. The way we approach it is we try to be disciplined to make sure we're invested in best-in-class ideas that have a business model that will likely be very successful financially, as well as a business model that's in, in oriented around solving real problems.
1: Ian, you are also the president and founder of the Foundation for Civic Leadership. Uh, yes, that's an
2: organization we created to uh, remove barriers to student engagement and democracy.
1: So what I'd like to know is what initially ignited your interest in working on democracy from a from a philanthropist standpoint.
2: Democracy is in some ways the foundation of our ability to solve our problems together. So if we don't take care of the foundation, the house starts cracking and it makes it much harder to to take care of each other. So the concern I had even going through college is that uh, this is 20 years ago is that uh, democracy was sort of seen as a extra curricular activity or as a specialty to study when in fact for it to work we all need to get good at it so it needs to be something we all learn how to get better at otherwise the system doesn't doesn't work very well so I was really curious about what would it mean to deepen the country's practice of educating for democracy and how could you accelerate that work in addition I was kind of captivated by the stories of societies that that took that work very seriously like you know the story of, of Socrates, who was actually put to death because he miseducated the youth. <laughs> and now you could claim we you know, don't don't treat it with as high stakes as we, we should, that actually how we educate the next generation for participation in democratic activity should be uh, the subject of robust debate because it has huge consequences. If we don't do a good job, we all end up suffering.
0: You, you had experience growing up uh, in institutions of higher education. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about why you have focused a little? Why you have focused your efforts in institutions of higher education and the role that they can play in democracy, um, and uh, what really sort of guided your interest in that work?
2: Well, in the United States, institutions of higher education have been foundational to our success as a nation, and are foundational to our continued success. So, when looking to solve a problem, it's often helpful to look at what are our biggest assets already on the table that are are potential the best partners in addressing that issue. Uh, in addition, higher education usually uh, often starts targeting uh, young people when they come into their rights as citizens. So it's a great age to engage them in. Okay, so you're not just a young person; you're a, you're a new voter, and well, you're a new you a citizen, with newly acquired rights to participate in deciding who runs the country, or who runs your town, or what we're gonna vote for on the ballot. So it's a great age to get. To do, that, to do that job well of engagement. And lastly, institutions are self-replicating around for a long time. A lot of nonprofit programs are here, here and there, they're here for five or 10 years and they go away. But uh, as folks at GMU know, <laughs> many of the institutions have been around for a very long time and are likely to be around for a long time to come. So ensuring their practices are high quality is critical to ensuring we're doing a good job for the long term, not just doing a good job in the short term.
0: What have you seen as some of the best practices in higher education for strengthening democracy and involving students in that work?
2: Yeah, well, one reason we looked at voting was it's hard to educate for democracy really well if you're not teaching students how to participate in it. So the idea of uh, there are many great important skills to learn in becoming a more engaged citizen, um, how to bring people together, how to listen to each other. Um, a lot of those are very hard to measure. One thing we can measure is whether people show up to vote or not. And that's not just a thing that happens, it's something that's learned, it's something people learn how to do. So the idea of being able to measure whether or not students at a college were actually showing up to vote seemed to be a really good, no BS way to <laughs> have a, creating a leading indicator on what was the little activity in that college, as well as discover what worked. So. Um, Now the the study that uh, initiated about uh, eight years ago has is now covering over a thousand campuses. Um, It's based at Tufts University now. The study is generating a lot of data around uh, best practices and a lot of generating a lot of data around what potentially might work. So we're discovering colleges uh, on the voting piece that are now not only registering. 80% of their students, they're registering 90 and 95% of their students, and we're discovering colleges that not only have voting rates of, you know, 45%, but 65 and and 80%. So, it's, then we're able to send teams to those campuses to figure out what's going on and learn from that.
1: You're referring to the National Study of Learning, Voting, and Engagement, which in our world we call the Insolve Report, (laughs) and... We were so excited here at James Madison University several weeks ago, I think it was on a Thursday, it was Insolve Day. We were gonna get our 2018 uh, data um, for student uh, voter registration and, and voter participation, not only for our campus specific to us, but also the, uh, the national data came out. And there was a really exciting um, finding when comparing 2018 student voting data to 2014 student voting data, which is that it doubled. Um, What do you make of that?
2: Well, it was an incredible result. Uh, And I think it's worth noting that voter participation across the country increased significantly, but on college campuses, it increased even more. And that's what was particularly interesting because, yes, there are national factors at play. Many people are concerned with what's going on in Washington and and there's been very high levels of organizing around the, uh, a whole host of issues. So there was a, likely to be a big increase in, in participation. And there was a big increase in participation, and there was a big increase in participation in young people, but doubling was much higher than the, than the, than the overall participation rate increase. So we were really interested to see, um, uh, we were you know, heartened that it seems like the college voting rate was even higher than the national average, and it hopefully is a reflective of uh, some of the practices we're starting to see colleges employ, um, what was also heartening is that some colleges, like GMU, didn't just double; they tripled what they yes. had done before. <laughs> so it was very so, and we know, and and some ev- some even quadrupled, and one even quintupled. But that wow. the, the the tripling they were often starting from very low rates in 2014, so like single digits. That was Um, us. It's it's easier to trip when you're starting single digits, but you still had an overall increase of like 24 points, which was Mm -hmm. still higher than the national average increase of about 20. So that was still, it's a a very significant increase, even above what might have been expected normally. But what's exciting about that is we're seeing efforts of local leaders making a difference. So GMU starting many years ago, really made this a priority under President Alger to you know, create a center of civic engagement, to really dive in and what does it mean to educate for democracy, to recruit the resources to hire staff, to, to uh, f- try to figure out how to create a higher quality campus culture, and then to create real plans, so improving civic learning and engagement on campus. And uh, so we've seen GMU be proactive around trying to, to dive in the space, creating high quality plans, involving the whole GMU community in this, and the results speak for themselves, you know, that the GMU achieved a higher, a better result than most campuses. And it's kind of gratifying. I would think that if you're on a campus and you put all the hard work in, you actually can measure to see if it made a difference. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is exciting, you know. I, I look at our voting data; we yeah. tripled, Ian, yeah. and, and and that's incredibly exciting. And yeah. we were celebrating; it was exciting. And, and the national data doubled from twenty to forty percent, and then and then part of me looks at that number and says, "Gosh, there's still a lot of people that aren't voting. We yes. still have work to do." So, so what do we do next? Now that we've got this really kind of yeah. exciting finding, and 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 the buzzkill side of me says, "Well, gosh, we we really missed some people here."
2: Yeah. Well, I think I. One is continuing to refine practices around registration very specifically. I think the, the practicing at some schools of really using that time when students are new to the school or re-registering for classes to have that short in-person conversation um, to engage them in registration and try to do it with every student makes a big difference. And so GMU's registration rate has improved a lot in the last few years, going up in the 60s to the 80s. But we, have, we are now seeing schools getting into the mid-90s. So like the, the goal, one specific goal would be you know, could JMU shoot for that, that, that uh, 90 or 95 percent registration rate for, for next cycle, um, that would be a specific thing. A second thing is really trying to embed civic learning throughout the curriculum, so people encounter public policy issues in statistics classes, and they encounter uh, questions about democracy in their writing classes, and there's no reason universities can't start to incorporate more interesting public problems that students care about into their other curricular content that they're already learning. Um, and then also ensuring there's there's town halls and meetings and debates and students are involved in civic like on campus and that and not just national, but local issues are elevated. So they understand that it all counts. Especially at JMU where there's an election every year <laughs> because <laughs> you're in Virginia. It's actually a great opportunity to ensure your, you know, there's a, a constant education about the impact of local and state issues upon students lives and their future lives
0: we actually have not only one election every year but Almost two elections every year with the primaries, <laughs> so so we honestly have that excuse. Um, you know, we did a traveling town hall with our candidates in the spring before the primary elections as well, just to sort of start to spark interest in the state elections that would be coming later in the year. And it was a great opportunity to educate students who were registered here locally about absentee voting, um, so that they because they would be away during the June primaries so they could vote in the primaries um, or to do in-person absentee before they were leaving. And so there was an effort to walk down to City Hall where our local registrar's wa- office was before they left for the summer and do some in-person voting together.
2: That's terrific. Uh, it's probably not an accident that a lot of primaries are scheduled in June after students leave. <laughs> so it's an extra important reason for schools to take it on themselves to ensure students' voting rights are protected by engaging them in that process. So that's really important in doing that work. But it's a, it's a great sort of test time. So like primary is like sort of a dry run for the general and often those issues in a primary can mean even more to students because they're debating right. something that students it's care a lot about. So um, for 2020, figuring out how does the, in the presidential primary process work and the gubernatorial, in, 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 for the presidential primary process work, it'd be great to s- see that as a dry run for upgrading practices even going forward.
0: Yeah, one of the other things I'd like to point out is in the last presidential election, only about 9% of the electorate chose the final two candidates for the general election, right? So encouraging participation in those primaries is also important when we're thinking about challenges to our political system like partisan polarization, you know, have better candidate selection and choices, right? Being involved early and often.
2: (laughs) And still young people don't participate as much as older people. So just to create a more reflective electorate is really important. Many um, people don't quite realize probably the most important part of voting is just showing up. Once you show up, you're on a list (laughs) and politicians pay attention to who's on that list. And if you're not on that list, they definitely don't pay as much attention to you. If you are on that list, you have a higher chance of being listened to, Um, and the act of showing up means that you're part of accountability system for uh, folks in in the state capitol, or in Washington DC, or in your city council.
1: mentioned earlier um, the importance of planning. And I think that that's something that has been emphasized by a lot of the national organizations that we work with when it comes to encouraging students to participate in elections. Uh, We at the Madison Center are active with the uh, Students Learn Students Vote Coalition, which is a group of about 350 um, organizations supporting nonpartisan uh, voter education and engagement efforts and 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 through some of the those groups um, the all-in campus democracy challenge the voter friendly campus uh, planning is emphasized so can you sort of speak to 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 the importance of that in the process because we've got our data right it's measurable it's coming from the national study of of learning voting and engagement but but can you speak to the importance of planning for this
2: there's a Old adage of plan, do, check, improve, a continuous improvement cycle, improvement cycle that's been used to create high performance enterprises. And the same thing with this. You know, with any try to do anything well and improve it over time, it helps to do something, evaluate it, incorporate that evaluation into a plan to improve it, and then try to do it again. So the planning process is really a key design feature to create over time a high quality improvement system. It also allows some discussion and inclusion across a campus. So, it, you know, the, excu- the action of creating a plan creates an opportunity for people to come together to discuss what could work. You know, let's hash out some ideas here. And then the plan itself, when published, allows people to give even further feedback, allows them to exchange ideas on what worked, and it creates a document about, oh, this is what we said we would try. So people can go back to evaluate did we actually do that. Or things that worked really well, which of the things do we actually do? So it's sort of a, it's a public marker that, in some ways, itself is a democratic act because it's bringing people together to create an intention, share that intention publicly, and then uh, allow a community to come together to improve upon that for next time. Um, we actually, in designing the, the all in challenge, worked with the behavioral science firm to kind of think of what were some of the simplest ways to encourage continuous improvement. And the idea of doing a plan uh, was reinforced in that that research.
1: Yeah, I have to say in in practice, we we read the um, election imperatives report that came from the Institute for Democracy and Higher Education um, about a year or two ago, and they emphasized the importance of standing coalitions of people that are working on student voting and, and making sure that it is a standing group, but also an inclusive group of different pockets around campus, and I have to say that every time our group does come together, there's just a certain excitement and energy and pride in the work that we're doing that these people from these, whether it's residence life or orientation or a a department chair of an academic unit to all kind of come together and work on, okay, how do we plan to get our students more participatory in in democracy?
2: Well, that's the idea. This isn't just an exercise in voting. It's an exercise in community building and creating communities where creating a culture where everyone feels they count. And this is a great way to do that because if you're a college president and you're creating a a voting program, you're going to be trying to create a voting program that includes everybody where you should be. And if you're a uh, dean or you're a student leader and you talk about voting, you know there's two ways to talk about it. One is I want to get me and the people I agree with to show up, and that is perfectly fine. Party politics has an important role. But another way of thinking about it is what does it mean if we all show up and, and encourage each other to show up, even if we disagree with each other? And that creates such a healthy precedent for how we can solve problems in the future. You know, Instead of telling people they shouldn't participate at all, let's actually encourage everyone to participate and have a battle of ideas rather than have a, um, that'll, who's trying to disqualify who from participating. So it's a really healthy, the plan creation process can really create that connective tissue across a campus and be a great school spirit project that's truly meaningful. Um, so um, we're heartened to hear examples like JMU that are, are taking this process seriously and using it to benefit the campus and see the value is, isn't just creating a plan for voting, but creating an exercise and bringing a community together to have a positive experience of creating change. And that's those are lessons that students will keep with them for decades to come. Like, I was a part of something. We really improved how we improved an institution. Those are great skills in the public sphere. They're great skills in the private sphere. And, you know, um, hopefully they'll be more part of the skills of Washington, D.C. someday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> one can hope. <laughs> No, it is amazing. You know, the students, we, you know, our students wrote our voter engagement plan, the first one. We're in the process of updating it now. Um, but they were the ones before Abe and I really even got here to start thinking about this. Um, and looking, you know, they were so excited last year to see those plans come into fruition, um, you know, through the Madison Center, through Duke's Vote. And then after the election, we could see the numbers, even though we hadn't had our NSOLF data yet, we could see just by our precinct numbers that we had increased turnout um, in the in the last election. Um, and then being able to show that uh, in different classes as we went and did civic action planning for other classes, it was like this was done by your peers, right? And so that was inspiring to think about, okay, for these other students who were taking on other quote-unquote wicked problems, um and trying to develop civic action plans around those wicked problems they they could they use that as as sort of um an inspiration to say, "Oh, I can do this too, and do it here locally, and do something on campus." Mm-hmm. And you know, this is part of our, this is part of who we are. This is part of our institutional identity that we solve problems, that we do things together, um, no matter our backgrounds. It really, resonates. the
2: twenty-first century is all about learning the skills of change making, and this is a thing that any campus can get better at, and any student can apply themselves to, and feel real results relatively quickly if they're smart about it and engage each other.
1: So, so there's there's the role of students, and we have wonderful student leaders here. Um, some of them, by the way, are supported by uh, national organizations. We work with the Campus Vote Project, who's been wonderful and has, has allowed us to bring on two undergraduate democracy fellows. We work closely with an organization called SEEP, which is also allowed to... Um, campus
0: election engagement project
1: that has put us in a position to uh, bring on some undergraduate democracy fellows we have a standing center we have faculty who are interested in this but one of the things at JMU that really attracted me when I came here two years ago was presidential leadership Uh, president John Alger is is deeply invested in this idea that we need to be educating for democracy Um, Ian, I'm wondering if you could speak to the importance of presidents in this work
2: one of the exciting things about where we've seen the biggest success is it's involved the work from the students to the deans to the college presidents level and the best work has happened where all all those levels of serious engagement but without the the full-throated endorsement of the president not as much as possible Uh, you have a great luck of having a president who had the foresight to incorporate in their strategic plan Doubling down on education for educating for democracy and doing that not just in a rhetorical way, but actually establishing center and civic engagement and bringing the resources to hire uh, and recruit super talented staff to, to make that work and and continuing to lead the way and recruit other folks. I know uh, President Alger has made efforts to recruit other college presidents to do more in the student voting work. And that's a sign of real leadership, not just doing it yourself, but recruiting others to also step, come along with you. Um, the, it sends such a great signal when the, the top of the university is saying this is a priority. Um, we've seen uh, President Bacow at Harvard last year, he said, <coughs> I speak to this because this is where I went and so I was probably paying very close attention <laughs> and, uh, uh, and it had briefed him a couple years ago on the power of the work and, and um, I think he heard from a few other folks too. Anyway in the fall of 2018, which is his first year as president, his inaugural address to, to the incoming class. He said, welcome to Harvard. Uh, your first homework assignment is to register to vote, to study up on the issues, and to cast a ballot. Hmm. And then he had students take out their smartphones, <laughs> and he read out the name of the website and where you're supposed to register, the Harvard-specific registration site, and had him fill it out. And then uh, this year, he went even further and Harvard upgraded some of its practices to include paper registration as well, and he took around and went around on the clipboard and, and uh, registered students to vote himself as part of the 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 improvements in their practices. So um, it was it's heartening to see that kind of leadership um, at uh, all kinds of schools around the country. There's um, uh, university presidents who have led marches to the polls, as university presidents who have hosted town halls. You see. Um, more and more seeing this as an area to take leadership. Um, President Schissel at Michigan recruited all the other Big Ten presidents to create a mm-hmm. Big Ten voting challenge. There's now a competition among the Big Ten schools, which means that all the Big Ten students participate in it. You know, whether, you know, whether they show up or not will determine whether or not their campus wins. That Winners are gonna be announced later, later this fall for the 2018 election cycle and so there's over 500,000 students participating in this competition whether they know it or not they're participating <laughs> we want more to know it but but it was really um you know it's leadership to recruit other presidents to make that happen and then not just leave it there he went on the jumbotron at halftime at a michigan football game it's the largest stadium in the united states and he you know talked about the importance of voting and then the marching band did formations and with the donkey and an elephant and it's American so flag, and <laughs> quoted Barack Obama and John McCain and Maya Angelou and Gerald Ford, and who's a Michigan alum, and basically made it more a part of the culture of the school. So, um, And they did a lot of other things, too. And it, technical things, like going across each of like the 16 schools in Michigan to try to win commitments from those deans to improve their voter registration procedures. So the bandwidth um, that presidents can unlock when they say this is an important priority is critical. Look, it's being a college president is a very challenging job. Uh, my mother was a college president, and I'm very sympathetic. You've got 20 things on your plate. You're supposed to raise money, you're supposed to run an institution, you're supposed to deal with crises, and you know, registering students to vote may like not always be on the top. But that signal from a president that this is a top priority and making sure you've got a top team focused on it can create dramatic results as you've seen at, at JMU. Um, the real challenge of next year is is winning as many commitments from presidents to elevate this and empower their staff to partner with students on making it happen.
0: So now that we have more and more NSOLV reports um, and more data, I wonder what you think is, is possible moving forward.
2: It's possible for... Any school in the country to hit a ninety percent registration rate, if they they work at it, even even higher. We've seen ninety five percent even in a midterm cycle. So, um, we think even higher than ninety five is possible because that's ninety five percent of eligible. So, it's it's uh, I think ninety five is the new standard a registration school should hit. Hmm. Um, on the voter participation rate, there's no reason to not also still try for everybody. You know that there's something special about that commitment when you're saying let's try to. Win the commitment of everybody to show up. You know, and it means you're not trying to like slice and dice the electorate or pick and choose who you're, what dorm you're knocking on or whatever. You're not being too clever about. It. You're trying to include everybody, and there's real value to that. In terms of numbers to hit for 2020, since we saw in 2016 some campuses at 70 even 80 percent, I mean I think shooting for 80 percent would be a a strong goal. Um, you know, I think we'll probably see a couple campuses hit. Uh, hit uh, hit 90 this time around wow. my, my, my bad. I'm, I'm hoping i think it's possible given we've seen some 80s um and given the overall increases we've seen in the last midterm but i think you know if a campus hits you know 75 80 percent participation that will usually mean they improved a lot over the last cycle um but uh so a lot is possible. And then the bigger thing is also engaging one's community, engaging other campuses in this, and making it fun. Picking a fight across a sports league <laughs> and, and try to crush your rivals in voting, not just in uh, volleyball or football, is, is, uh, is a great opportunity. So making it fun uh, and continuing to make it fun is part of the future of this.
0: What do you see as some of the greatest challenges to this work and also to our democracy?
2: Small question. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that requires everyone to step up uh, and make this happen. It's not going to be solved just by writing a big check. It's not going to be solved just by someone flipping a switch. It actually takes people within their community to step up and say, you know, I'm going to take responsibility. Let's see if we can do this together and form a team and create a good plan and and get serious about using evidence to commit to best practice. That that doesn't happen overnight. Um, it can A lot can happen within six months, though. <laughs> so this is a doable project. I think the, part of the barriers is, is people get a little overwhelmed. Like, oh, voting, it's complicated. How do we figure it out? And then they don't get engaged at all. That's the brilliance of committing to do a plan. At least you commit to try, to try to do something. And then you can see a plan and then improve upon it. So the biggest barrier right now is lack of awareness in the general public, like and, and among university campuses, among leaders of university campuses, that excellence is possible and it's possible at every kind of campus. And it's po- and dramatic improvements are possible within six months, you know, if you if you try. Now, you have to start a year before an election, so now is a critical time. You can't wait until April. So when I say six months, I mean between September and October and April is really the key six months to drive those changes. Um, the um, in terms of democracy itself, you know, the more and the more that people participate, the more that politicians feel accountable to everybody rather than a, some people. Um, so that is the that is a leading challenge, ensuring more people participate in primaries where a lot of politicians are selected and paid the most attention, as well as a general election. So a leading edge challenge in going forward would be to encourage university to take the primary process actually really seriously because that's actually where some of the biggest decisions are made um, in most of the country about who ends up being elected. Um, and in the long run for democracy, another w- issue to work on is money and politics reform and ensuring that there is um, you know uh, less unaccountable big money in politics is a big big issue <laughs> that's one reason it's important for people to participate because it is one way to, to fight back against you know donors writing big checks to try to sway a politician's viewpoint or lobbyists you know um, uh, influencing politicians too much is showing up actually does matter over time to to, to push back against that and then you know, As students engage in the system, they can also learn about reforms that might improve the system. So there's a lot of debates about what reforms might work, but you know, there's some states that are now trying an instant runoff voting system or ranked choice voting. Mm-hmm. There's uh, other places that are char- charring different kinds of public financing. Um, there are other places that are trying automatic voter registration. So you know, little improvements to the system can really, over time, add up to making it much easier to solve big problems together.
1: One of the things that we experienced here at JMU, and and it's likely common across other campuses, is we had a pretty sizable drop off from students who were registered to vote and those who actually voted. And so while we didn't hit that 90% benchmark, I think in 2018 our voter registration rate was about 81%.
0: Uh,
1: Of that 81%, 40% voted. Mm-hmm. Which to me is is too big of a drop off. How do we address that once we get students registered?
2: Well, I think it's really and Nancy Thomas at, at Tufts talks about this. It's about politics three sixty five. You know, it should you know professors and students shouldn't be ashamed to talk about politics and policy, and you can do it in ways that are not partisan. It's also legitimate to talk about partisan issues and debate those as well. And then that's as long as the campus isn't endorsing a partisan position. Um, so I think understanding that students are whole people bring have a lot of them parts themselves and allow them to bring that, those selves into the classroom, into discussions um, and ensuring that the importance of big public problems are present across the curriculum as I talked about before. You know, I think working on that long-term project of ensuring across the curriculum and across extracurriculars the, the importance of coming together to solve big problems and that it's possible. Um, I think too often how we solve big problems together as society is not really a central part of our educational system you know we sort of learned about history as something that happened rather than something that was made <laughs> and and so thinking out are there ways even in an orientation process or program potentially where students are onboarded what does it mean to be a citizen well it means it's not it's not just about voting that's that's critical to long-term success it's also about learning how to work with other citizens to come together to solve the great challenges that will you know help make your life better or help make the life of your kids better or of your your community or communities you care about. Um, there is you know, a lot of skill involved in change-making, and so we need to, to fast-forward that 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 part of educating for democracy too, of how people come together to create great change. Um, the good news is in this is that uh, America's, in addition to having some great challenges, democracy is actually often seen as one of the great sources of inspiration renewal in democracy. The, De Tocqueville came to this country in 1830s. He remarked on how, you know, the the uh, in America, the citizens exemplified uh, this this ability to combine with each other to create change. You know, the, and that like the mother of knowledge was actually our ability to come together. That actually was what generated the knowledge of our society. Was how we came together to tackle problems. And today, still, we have that situation where I think there is an opportunity to build upon our existing skills. You know, people know how to talk to each other, they know how to text each other and tweet and <laughs> invite people over for dinner. And basically it's about just doing more of that but in a, in a way that you can do it across communities and societies and not just in your own circle of friends.
1: Groups coming together um, from different viewpoints, different disciplines, different practices, different backgrounds, addressing public problems. First of all, I find that very exciting and inspiring when that happens, just the process in and of itself of people joining a table together to try to address a community problem. At JMU, We've got wonderful colleagues in our Department of Social Work that lead what's called the Health Policy Summit. And what they do is they bring in social work students, health sciences students, public policy students, and students from the business school, and and, and purposely put them at table so that they're sitting with students from these different disciplines and give them a problem like the opioid epidemic Mm -hmm. and ask them to, to think about how to address that problem from a public policy standpoint. Right. So you've got the business students that are often um, helping to ask the social work students, well, how are you going to pay for that? Mm-hmm. And then and, and, and the policy students trying to create with some type of reform or policy idea to address some aspect of the opioid epidemic. And then um, actual elected leaders and candidates for elected office will come and, and hear the students sort of pitch these ideas. And I just think about what a wonderful training ground this is for the students to have that type of experience.
2: Well, that's terrific. I mean, problem-based learning is not just a good thing in democracy. It's a good thing in medicine. It's a good thing in business. So it's, a, it's you know, a lot about educating for democracy is is not using dry tactics, but really bringing in best practices and in, in teaching to learning how to educate for democracy. And uh, it's exciting to hear that you're doing that in this way at JMU. And you got to, again, picking real problems that where there isn't an obvious solution yet, but it's recognized and important, and bring people from different perspectives together to say, okay, so what's your best shot at this, you know? And, and what do we have to offer each other in terms of solving the problem that's key? The, um, you know, there's a argument that higher education should be generally more oriented on problem-based learning. And and if we did a lot more of that, we'd learn the civic skills that would translate better across um, society. So I think there's also insights in what we're learning about how to educate you for democracy that are translatable in terms of creating, um, developing high-quality skills for the 21st century. If you you look at, like, the World Economic Forum reports or Gates Foundation's assessments on, like, what what students need to be learning for the jobs of the future, a lot of, like, the top 10 skills that they're calling for are skills that are often best learned in a civic setting. High-quality listening, you know, uh, high-quality public speaking and communication, systems thinking, thinking, you know, being able to think through complex systems, teamwork, and working in teams to solve problems. So uh, I think if we really take this work of educating from actually seriously, we'll understand that we can use it to the benefit, not just when we're explicitly attacking a public problem, but it can use it in a way that uh, would enrich our work across uh, the curriculum.
0: So some of the things that we do hear from students is, you know, I'm, I'm focused on getting my degree right now so that I can get a job I'll I'll worry about being a responsible citizen or I'll worry about democracy after I graduate or I'll get involved after I graduate. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, we, President Alger says this, you know, we we, we often talk about how the skills, the, the civic skills are actually the skills that our skills employers are looking for. Um, but how do we make that case, you know, to 18, 19, 20-year-olds um, who just want to come in and get their degree and aren't necessarily thinking about those broader implications? And
1: to their parents.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I think there's a couple ways. One is within disciplines, say, like, you know, this one's pre-med, is raising up the importance of solving, say, public health challenges and having students be able to do portfo- and show portfolios of work where they have addressed public policy issues in medicine and have that as part of their portfolio of work. So it makes sense within what they're trying to do in the pre-med situation, but also it is relevant and reflective of um, how do we tackle democracy issues. So really um, making sure we're making the most of opportunities within existing curricular mandates to upgrade students' engagement with complex, hard problems within their disciplines. the most venerated doctors are the ones who solve, you know, many of them are the ones who solve very hard public health challenges. And so lifting up those and understanding what was behind that um, is, uh, I think, a key part of this. So it's seen as part of the vocation that to get engaged in high quality civic problem solving. That's probably the single most important thing because they've already got a major. Within that major, how is that expressed and exemplified? There's also, I think, ability to ensure that higher education is not just about one's major, but you have other experiences where you're engaging your full self um, in public problem-solving, in civic skills. So adding more requirements that may, um, again, integrate with other parts of the curriculum. So uh, introductory writing class is a great chance to actually learn a lot of civic skills and civic writing, and even uh, problem-solving and listening among peers. A lot of things, a lot of civic skills can be integrated into required introductory writing class. And uh, uh, statistics classes as well is another good one that uh, required math classes. There's a professor at Piedmont Valley Community College in Virginia <laughs> who integrates <laughs> uh, a, a civic uh, civic curriculum um, across like math and even geology <laughs> classes. I think she even um, encouraged a class to successfully get involved in uh, researching a new state rock for Virginia <laughs> and, and getting it like, getting to the legislature perhaps. And, and so there's a um, there's with a little imagination a lot a lot is possible on that front um and uh, and i think it also is helpful to think about how to push down into the high schools and figure out yeah. what are we asking of high schools to prepare students for college and ensuring that students are bringing able to demonstrate portfolios of work that's not just about scoring well on a bubble dot test but showing uh work where they've been able to do problem solving with peers and able to elevate certain sets of civic skills in listening and in public speaking and in collective problem solving that, um, that would serve them wealth for life, not just for getting into college. But I think we need to elevate civic skills as part of what we're looking for, f- as part of being a well-rounded student.
0: So we've talked about the competitions, um, the the Big Ten, there's the Colonial Athletic Association. Um, there's also um, democracy summits that are regional or statewide for universities to kind of come together and think about these challenges as a cohort. Um, Within states or within regions, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what the impacts of either competitions or summits, or if there's other forms or opportunities for universities to share knowledge amongst themselves.
2: Well, it's a key best practice to improve, like even improving. Uh, to back up, step my my father's involved in uh, public schools in Chicago, and to helping create uh, more rapid improvements in those schools he would help bring teachers together. So fourth grade teachers from one neighborhood would talk to fourth grade teachers from another neighborhood and share the work of their students and talk about it. And that kind of peer learning format where people are bringing their work, having creating space for a critical discussion about it, and walking away having learned a lot more about best practices that their peers are doing, got some feedback on the work, is a, is a proven best practice for creating true learning communities that are driving change. Um, so it's a great way to participate, too, because one, as a student, could could... You can go to a summit and help present the work of the school. Um, you can research what other schools are doing and try to figure out how to integrate that, those lessons learned in one's own plan. Um, I'd, I'd also argue that there's opportunities, even without going to a summit, to get curious using a current curricular requirement. Say you're in social psychology. Well, why not research the relationship between social psychology and voter registration or social psychology and voting and like use topics, if you're a student, use topics that are already... Um, and use, use content that you're already supposed to study to lean into these, some of these civic challenges and public problems. And this is actually a space where there's a lot of great research yet to be done and um, a lot of work yet to be proven. So uh, there's an opportunity to make a real impact. To even link this with the previous question around career impact, um, take presidential campaign season where you know, uh, there's a lot of activity going on it's actually one of the best places where talented young people can prove themselves because there is so much activity expands so quickly. You know, Presidential campaigns go from a, a, you know, a couple staff people to a couple hundred to a couple thousand to you know, really about 10,000 or more across the campaign and the state work that if you're really good, you can actually get more responsibilities fast and demonstrate success. So there's a lot of opportunity to grow very quickly and to prove yourself. And employers can then see that, because on a resume, you can see I was actually responsible for building a volunteer corps from 10 to 100, whereas most people in my cohort built it from 10 to 20. You know, <laughs> So you can come up with metrics that uh, actually demonstrate your success and make you very valuable to employers. So um, the amount of people who have come out of an intensive campaign and been able to get great jobs, um, if they prove themselves, is actually much higher than you might think. So um, the, the civic space is an area where impact, you know, that stepping up, whether it's at a partisan political campaign or even a nonpartisan get out the vote campaign, you can prove yourself, you can put it on a resume and, um, you've got a lot to offer an employer.
1: So a question we ask all of our guests, um, Ian, and we've spoken about a lot of topics as it relates to voter engagement, working within higher education, philanthropy, um, building this work into curricular, co-curricular opportunities what would what's one suggestion you would have for us to strengthen democracy
2: win commitments from colleges across virginia to register all their students to vote (laughs) (laughs) and have jmu you know really exercise a leadership role in that demonstrate it by being the change but the real interesting challenge would be to win commitments from across the state to do that it's doable it's hard but it would be gratifying for all those involved and it's appropriate in virginia which is the
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on Democracy Matters.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by the talented and tenacious Leah Jackson, a senior in the School of Media Arts and Design at James Madison University. Our digital guru, Randy Budnickus, director of digital marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by pictures of the floating world. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the Madison Center online at jmu.edu civic. Until next time.